Let me please extend a very warm welcome to all of you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for your coming and your interest. My particular gratitude goes to the Oxford University Mises Society for making today's meeting possible. It is truly wonderful to see that you have a Mises Society in the University of Oxford. I think it is of the utmost importance to bring to the public's attention the ideas of the Austrian School of Economics, which promote a peaceful and productive organization of human affairs nationally and internationally. From my point of view, the Austrian ideas, especially in the tradition of Ludwig von Mises, one of the greatest economists and social philosophers of the 20th century, are especially needed in our times. The title of my presentation is Hayek's Denationalization of Money – Some Critical Remarks. It is a book written by the economist and social theorist Friedrich August von Hayek in 1978. Friedrich August von Hayek was born in 1899 in Vienna, Austria, and he is one of the most prominent representatives of the so-called Austrian School of Economics. Hayek received in 1974 the Nobel Prize in Economic Sciences, together with the Swedish economist Gunnar Myrdal. He worked in Austria, the United Kingdom, the US, later in Germany, where he died in 1992. In a nutshell, Hayek, in his denationalization of money, calls for putting an end to the state's or the government's monopoly of money production, replacing it by a free market in money. At first glance, this seems to be a rather radical proposal. At a second glance, however, we will see that there is actually strong economic and ethical support for Hayek's idea. It was Karl Menger, the founding father of the Austrian school, who, in his Principles of Economics from 1871, put forward a theory of the origin of money. Menger argues that money has emerged spontaneously from the free market and out of a commodity, such as precious metals. In 1912, Ludwig von Mises gave Menger's theory a rigorous logical explanation with his so-called regression theorem. The Austrian's conclusion is that it does not require a state, as we know it today, for money coming into existence. Money emerges out of the free market, out of the individual interests of free market agents. That said, Hayek is not alone with his proposal to denationalize the currency. In fact, many economists in the Austrian tradition have been challenging the monetary status since decades, namely that money production is monopolized by the states. Some of you may ask, how come that money is no longer a free market phenomenon, as Menger explains, that the states hold the money production monopoly? Very good question. It was a rather long process through which the states finally obtained full control over money production, and a theoretical historical reconstruction of this process can be found in Murray Rothbard's What Has Government Done to Our Money? from 1963. If you read Rothbard, you will find that the state's monopolization of money was driven by coercion and violence, not voluntary action. The state's money production monopoly was not established for providing the population with better money or with economic stability. It was a power grab by the states and influential special interest groups. 
In view of the US, for instance, Rothbard's notes in his 1994 The Case Against the Fed that the Federal Reserve was set up for inflationary purposes, that is to catalyze the private commercial banks to help them inflate money and credit together and bail them out if they got into trouble. And of course, financing government deficit spending most conveniently with inflation, that is fiat money expansion. Hardly an ethical justification of central banking and fiat money. On this slide, I give you some more literature on the issues we will be discussing tonight. You find, of course, Hayek's denationalization of money from 1978, but you may also be interested in the earlier version of his study, namely Currency Choice, A Way to Stop Inflation from 1967. I also refer you to the work of Ludwig von Mises and Marie Rothbard on money and free banking. Finally, L.J. Sechrest's Free Banking, Theory, History and a Laissez-faire Model from 1993 might also be insightful reading for you. In his denationalization of money, Hayek proposes to give people the freedom of choice in money affairs. You and I, we all should be free to choose the kind of money we think is best for all purposes. And at the same time, people should be free to provide their fellow people with things they voluntarily wish to use as money. Hayek indeed rejects the monetary regime status quo. Just to remind you, today the world over we find state-controlled monetary systems. State-owned central banks hold the monopoly of the production of money. To be precise, the production of central bank money. Commercial banks have received a state license, allowing them to produce their own kind of money, that is commercial bank money, on top of central banks' central bank money. So let us ask the question, why does Hayek come up with this proposal to end state money production monopolies, replacing it with free choice in money? Well, when Hayek published his denationalization of money in the 1970s, goods price inflation was very high, unacceptably high. What had happened back then? The US administration had ended the gold redeemability of the US dollar on the 15th of August 1971. This unilateral decision on the part of the Americans effectively established a worldwide fiat currency system, a system in which every currency is no longer redeemable into anything. As a result, the quantity of money could be increased in any amount at any time seen politically expedient. Many states and politicians took advantage of this opportunity. They run up enormous deficits financed by the issuance of newly created fiat money. The strong increase in the quantity of fiat money made goods price inflation go up sky high. People in the US experienced what they later called the Great Inflation, with annual consumer goods price inflation running in the double digits. Similar developments unfolded in many European countries, most noticeably in the United Kingdom. Being an economist in the tradition of the Austrian school, Hayek has a special interest in monetary theory and, of course, the monetary business cycle theory explaining the recurrence of boom and bust. Hayek is acutely aware of the destructive forces set into motion by inflation. 
And so it doesn't take wonder that Hayek reacted most sensibly to the inflationary tendencies of his time. Austrians typically consider inflation, that is, chronically rising goods prices as a consequence of a relentless increase in the quantity of fiat money, as an economic and societal evil. Inflation destroys the purchasing power of money. If goods prices rise, you can buy less and less with your money unit. Also, inflation is socially unjust. It enriches some, namely the first receivers of the newly created money, at the expense of the many, the late receivers of the newly created money. What is more, inflation undermines the effectiveness of using money in economic calculation. This in turn induces consumers and entrepreneurs to make bad decisions, disrupting the process of wealth creation. Most importantly, inflation caused by an expansion of the fiat money quantity leads to boom and bust cycles, economic and financial crises, which in turn result in hardship for many people. And finally, the issuance of fiat money helps the state, the government, to expand, to finance wars most easily at the expense of the freedom and liberty of the people. In fact, Hayek, in his critique of the state's money production monopoly, emphasizes that inflation is typically the result of governments spending too much relative to tax revenues and increasing the issuance of fiat money to finance the deficit. Indeed, governments have a strong incentive to impose the inflation tax on the people, to enrich themselves at the expense of consumers and producers, causing great damage to the economy and society. Hayek put it succinctly when he writes, quote, With the exception only of the period of the gold standard, practically all governments of history have used their exclusive power to issue money to defraud and plunder the people, quote ends. So now we know why Hayek calls for a denationalization of money. He makes a proposal to give people sound money, an alternative to inflationary money that is produced under a state money monopoly. Speaking of money, do you actually know what money is? Most of you do, I guess. You know that money is the universally accepted means of exchange. But there's more to know about money. Ludwig von Mises pointed out, and this may perhaps surprise many of you, that money has just one function, and that is the means of exchange function. The unit of account function and store of value function of money are just derivatives of money's means of exchange function. What is more, money is a good like any other good. It is the most liquid good of all. It has the highest marketability, so to speak. Money being a good like any other good, its value is determined by the law of diminishing marginal utility, like the values of all goods are. In this context, and from the viewpoint of the acting individual, the law of diminishing marginal utility says that, first, a higher stock of money is preferable to a smaller stock of money, as the former allows for achieving more objectives than the latter, and, second, the marginal utility of the money unit declines the more money units there are available to the actor. In other words, a change in the quantity of money in my hands leads to, other things being equal, changes in the marginal utilities of the money unit and of all other vendable non-money items from my subjective point of view. If you agree, then the conclusion is this. 
All an increase in the amount of money does is lowering the money unit's marginal utility and, consequently, its purchasing power compared to a situation in which there had been no increase in the stock of money. Another conclusion is the following. It doesn't matter what the magnitude of money is in the economy, that any currently prevailing money quantity is, so to speak, optimal. A money supply of, for example, 15 billion euro is as good or bad as a money supply of, say, 5 billion euro. If the quantity of money is large, goods prices will be relatively high. And if it is small, goods prices will be relatively low. But any quantity of money is just as good or bad for financing a given transaction volume of goods and services as any other. In sum, we can say that an increase in the quantity of money does not, unlike the increase in all other goods, confer a social benefit. That a growing economy does not necessarily need an expanding quantity of money. An insight from the Austrian school, which is diametrically opposed to today's mainstream economic thinking. With that in mind, let us return to Hayek's proposal and let us ask the question, how would a free market in money work? I guess most of you like free choice when buying, say, food, sports shoes, books, computers, furniture, cars, houses, etc. And I guess it doesn't take much to convince you that a free market caters best to the needs of the consumers, providing them with goods of the highest quality at the lowest possible prices. But when it comes to money, you may be asking yourself, how could a free market in money possibly work? Well, it would work like this. People making exchanges would preferably use a medium of exchange that is most widely accepted, that has the highest marketability. I, for instance, would seek to get hold of a medium of exchange which is, from the viewpoint of my trading partner, say a baker, most highly valued. And the baker, in turn, would seek to hold a medium of exchange that can be most easily exchanged at the shoemaker, and so on. In other words, in a free market in money, it would be the demand for money that determines what money is. It is the people in the free marketplace that make this choice. Of course, people will seek good or sound money, just as they demand good shoes and good cars and not bad shoes and bad cars. When making their money choice, people will realize that a thing that should serve them as money must meet certain requirements. For instance, it must be scarce, homogeneous, durable, divisible, mintable, transportable, it must represent a relatively high exchange value per unit, etc. When we look into monetary history, we see that people mostly, if they had the freedom to do so, opted for precious metals as money, preferably gold and silver, even copper to a degree, because precious metals were, from the viewpoint of money users, considered the best option. Of course, we wouldn't know what kind of money would emerge in a free market in money. As you know, the free market is a discovery process, as Hayek put it, and its outcome cannot be predicted with certainty. However, in view of what we have just said, it is highly likely that people would, if we opt for a free market in money right now, choose gold and silver or perhaps a crypto unit such as Bitcoin. Before we explore this idea any further, let me ask you the following question. Is Hayek's proposal for a denationalization of money 
for opening up a free market in money, convincing? It is fair to say that Hayek's study drew a lot of criticism. Most argued his concept would be unrealistic, even undesirable. Among mainstream economists, Hayek's idea had remained a sideshow for many years. This might be, and in no small part, due to some inconsistencies in Hayek's line of argumentation. Let me give you just two examples. Example number one. Hayek confuses money proper with money substitute. Hayek thinks that in a free market there would be competition between private money issuers, each issuing its own currency. And this made some mainstream economists say that it would lead to monetary chaos. In this context, however, it is important to distinguish between money proper and money substitutes. In a free market in money, people would decide what goods will become money proper, such as, for instance, gold or silver or a crypto unit. Then, under free banking, money warehouses would spring up, offering services in terms of storage, settlement and safeguarding money proper. If, for instance, Mr. Miller decides to deposit 10 gold ounces with his money warehouse, say the Polite money warehouse, he will receive in return a money warehouse receipt, a so-called money substitute that can be used in transactions and can be redeemed in full at any time at the Polite money warehouse. The important point is money warehouses will compete in terms of money substitutes, not in money proper. In a free market in money, people choose the kind of money they wish to use. And once this decision has been made, the remaining competition is among money substitutes issued by competing money warehouses. Example number two. Hayek fails to factor in a crucial lesson from the monetary theory of the business cycle. Hayek thinks that in a free market in money, new money can be produced through literally printing up new money or loaning new money into existence. However, new money cannot be created ex machina. This we know from Ludwig von Mises' regression theorem. Just think of a situation in which I take little paper tickets, write the name Polite on it and the number 100. No one who is in his right mind will accept my paper tickets as money. No one would know what the exchange value of these pieces of paper would be and so no one would accept them. It is the regression theorem that tells us that unbacked paper money cannot emerge voluntarily and spontaneously. And if the new money is loaned into existence, Hayek's competing currencies idea would basically result in a world in which monies are created out of thin air. It would suffer from the same economic and ethical deficiencies as state-controlled fiat monies. These monies would be inflationary and set into motion a boom-and-bust cycle. Admittedly, money produced through credit expansion under free market conditions might be less harmful compared to state-monopolized fiat money, because people would still have a choice in terms of money, and in a free market in money, the incentive for money issuers engaging in fractional reserve banking would be diminished as there would be no central bank acting as a lender of last resort and so the incentive for banks to over-issue would be restricted. The bottom line is that Hayek's idea of creating new money by printing it up out of nothing or loaning it into existence cannot convince. 
it would not work. It would not pave the way towards sound money and thus it must be rejected. In view of the criticisms I have leveled against Hayek's denationalization of money, I hasten to make clear that my criticisms merely refer to technicalities, that they by no means imply an outright rejection of Hayek's idea of denationalizing money. No doubt Hayek's denationalization of money, a free market in money, would work, as I pointed out already. People would make a choice in terms of money proper, and once this decision has been made, money warehouses would compete in terms of money substitutes, to the benefit of money holders. Unfortunately, however, the technical, money-theoretical inconsistencies we find in Hayek's study seem to have backfired. The suspicion cannot be dismissed that they have done more harm than good to popularize the idea of replacing the state's money monopoly by a free market in money. Be that as it may, there are still important lessons to be learned from Hayek's denationalization of money for us today. Number one, Hayek reminds us that there is no compelling economic or ethical reason why the state should hold the money monopoly. In fact, that providing the state and thus also the special interest groups that use the state's coercive power for their purposes with the control over money will lead to inflation and other economic and social evils. A free market in money is, no doubt about that, economically and ethically superior to today's state's controlled money monopoly regime. Number two, Hayek's idea of a free market in money can be realized quite easily, namely by ending the legal tender status of official currencies, ending capital gain taxes and VAT on potential money candidates such as gold, silver and crypto units, and ending all remaining regulation that stands in the way of using means of exchange other than official currencies. Number three, Hayek brings to our attention what Karl Menger had pointed out, namely that money is a free market phenomenon, that it emerged spontaneously from the free market and out of a commodity such as gold and silver, a theory that Ludwig von Mises provided with a logical foundation. And this insight, namely that money is a free market phenomenon, that it does not require a supply monopolist, makes us understand the developments in the markets for crypto units. The emergence of markets for crypto units has a reason. It is the search for better money, as people have become increasingly disenchanted with today's official fiat currencies. One is inclined to think that Hayek would be in favor of crypto markets and also of all other entrepreneurial endeavors to provide people with better money, like, say, precious metals-based payment systems. In an interview in 1984, Hayek's words support this notion. Hayek said, quote, I don't believe we shall ever have a good money again before we take the thing out of the hands of government. That is, we can't take them violently out of the hands of government All we can do is by some sly roundabout way introduce something they can't stop." Quote ends. Hayek would have no problems with the emergence and acceptance of a kind of money that is beyond the reach of the state, that cannot be suppressed by the state, that cannot be increased at will in any amount politically desired by the state. A money that won't be inflationary, 
and thus stands in sharp contrast to today's state money production monopolies. Let me conclude by saying that Hayek's proposal for denationalizing the currency, that is, ending the state's money production monopoly and opening up a free market in money, is as relevant as ever. Perhaps it is more relevant than ever. Hayek's study is important for us as it encourages us to have an open and thorough debate about the idea of moving towards a free market in money, thereby understanding all the serious problems of today's state-sponsored fiat money systems. Today's worldwide fiat money regime is an economically and socially destructive scheme, with far-reaching and seriously harmful economic and societal consequences. Fiat money is inflationary. It benefits a few at the expense of many others. It causes boom and bust cycles. It leads to over-indebtedness. It corrupts society's morals and it will ultimately end in a depression on a grand scale. All these theoretical insights, however, which have been put forward by the scholars of the Austrian schools years ago, hardly play any role among the efforts of mainstream economists central bankers, politicians and bureaucrats in identifying the root cause of the current financial and economic crises and against this backdrop formulating proper remedies. This should not come as a surprise though. The purpose of policymakers and their influential experts is to keep the fiat money regime going, whatever it takes. However, this will not end well. Fiat money is incompatible with the free economic and societal order and it will destroy the productive and peaceful cooperation among men. This is why we should pay attention to Hayek's idea, to the Austrian idea, and state control over money, make possible a free market in money. Let's follow Hayek. Let people freely choose the money they would like to use, gold, silver, crypto units, or whatever. The sooner, the better. Thank you very much for your attention.